This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. When I woke up this morning, I looked out at the weather. I thought, oh, good. The weather is collaborating with the lament. This is fantastic. It's a good day for a lament. What do people in San Diego do with so much sunshine? All the time. Never any lamentation of weather. Well, we've got it today. As I was preparing um, for this sermon, Father Matt asked me, well, what did, what did you think when you first read this psalm as you were preparing? And I thought, I hate it. It's like turnips. It's like kale. I don't like it. I want to teach cake and ice cream. He also told me I might like this psalm because it has birds. So just prepare yourselves for the great bird life to be found in Psalm 102. I don't know how long it's been since you have been in Sunday school or taught a Sunday school class, but if this is in your memory, you will know that there are always three right answers in Sunday school. No matter what the question is, you can always shout out, God, or oh, Jesus, or the Bible, and you wouldn't be wrong most of the time. Those are the correct answers. Who loves the world and promises to restore all things? Oh, oh, God, God. Who gave his life to forgive sin and conquer death? Oh, oh, Jesus. How do we know that God wrote, made these promises and will fulfill them? Oh, oh, in the Bible. Absolutely true, absolutely correct. But in order for these children to mature and to grow up, the goodness of God, the salvation of Jesus, and the Holy Scriptures have to work their way into their bones. The Psalms give us laments to help us walk honestly and courageously in a world that is both delightful and full of joy, as well as harrowing and full of sorrow and grief. When the things you deeply love and treasure are crushed and in your hands you hold the dust, what then? Life is a cycle of laments. If we don't grow in lament, as the challenges we face grow, our ability to stay connected to God will be impaired. Overwhelming circumstances can outpace our spiritual muscles. And lament develops those muscles, bringing strength, flexibility, and grit. Our sorrows can help us root more deeply into Christ. And this is essential for our children. They must be deeply rooted like trees with tremendous root systems and expansive trunks to stand firm in terrible storms. Look for just a moment at how the psalm ends. The arc of the psalm ends with verse 28. The children of your servants shall dwell secure. Their offspring shall be established before you. The psalmist has in his mind's eye this prophetic scene, his offspring established before God. 
the promise of all generations gathered before God in safety and joy steadies the lamenting one. When I think about the next generation, the first thing that comes to mind is my own children. Do you think I want to teach them Psalm 102? Do you think I want to teach them a lament? Not really. I don't want to think about them needing a lament. When they were little, I taught them Psalm 95. Come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout for joy to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with singing and raise a loud shout to him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. You know what? That's absolutely true. He is great. And we should come into his presence with singing. Amen. Let it be so. But we also must come into his presence with lament. And if I didn't bring to them a lament, I would fail them. And if I don't bring this lament to you, I would fail you. The Lord isn't going to fail us, and so he gave us this lament. If you don't need it now, you will. So what place does lament have in a book of prayers? Are we not part of a triumphant people, moving always further up and closer to a glorious end? 16th century theologian Moberly writes this about that very question. The predominance of laments at the very heart of Israel's prayers means that the problems that give rise to lament are not something marginal or unusual, but rather are central to the life of faith. Moreover, they show that the experience of anguish and puzzlement in the life of faith is not a sign of deficient faith, something to be outgrown or put behind one, but rather is intrinsic to the very nature of faith. As Anglicans, our prayer book gives us daily readings of the Psalms. You can choose to read the entire Psalter in 30 or 60 days, depending on how many Psalms you'd like to read per day. And praying the Psalms daily immerses us in worship, repentance, and lament. Praying this way draws us into solidarity with those who right now are in tremendous suffering and need. We give a corporate lament. Lament is also personal. We have a God who's so deeply engaged in our lives that he invites us to wail in his presence, to specifically tell him the anguish we carry. If we don't learn to lament, we will not be equipped to stand firm when the bottom drops out and every breath is labored. And every new generation of Christians needs to grow up tucked right into the life of those that are just a few steps ahead so they can see a struggle between unanswered prayer and confidence. They need to witness us putting our hope and confidence in God even before we see the goodness of the Lord.
in the land of the living. So let's look together at Psalm 102, which is printed there in your bulletin. This psalm has a title. It's titled, A Prayer of One Afflicted When He Is Faint and Pours Out His Complaint Before the Lord. A Prayer of One Afflicted. I found this definition. To be afflicted is to be in circumstances of diminished capacity, diminished power, diminished worth. Psalm 102 gives us a simple ABC pattern for praying a lament. A, the entreaty, B, the affliction, C, the heavenly gaze. And if you're note takers, I would like to make little marks in your uh, psalm there. Verses 1 and 2 are A, the entreaty. Verses 3 to 11, B, the affliction. Verses 12 to 22, C, the heavenly gaze. And then we have a recapitulation of B, verses 23 to 26, and C, verses 27 to 28. So let's start with A, the entreaty, in verses 1 and 2. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Incline your ear to me. Answer me speedily in the day when I call. These same words of entreaty of Psalm 102 can be found in other psalms. For instance, Psalm 39, 12. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Psalm 27, 7, hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Sorrow and devastation are often solitary experiences. Hear my prayer. But the solitary has given way to the corporate as we now pray, hear my prayer, even in the prayers of the people. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. When we all pray, we allow our hearts to be moved by the afflictions of others. And we can be confident that others in heaven and on earth are standing and suffering with us, raising their voices on our behalf as we join our hearts to their griefs and sorrows. Verse 2, incline your ear to me. Answer me speedily. For we are invited by God to cry out to him. And he notices and he listens. Verse 17, he regards the prayer of the destitute and does not despise their prayer. But we often are ashamed of our needs. We're quick to dismiss them, to name our sorrows or losses as unimportant or perhaps deserved. Like I brought this on myself by my own sin. But God doesn't dismiss it or diminish it. He doesn't despise our need, but carries our tears in a bottle. So those verses were A, the entreaty. So now B, the affliction. Psalm 102 is written poetically with metaphors that break open the writer's heart so that we have a glimpse of the excruciating ache within. The psalmist begs God to take heart, 
the world of emotion that is sweeping through his heart, to listen to it. So listen to some of these images. I won't go through all of them um, and see what they evoke for you. Verse 3, for my days pass away like smoke. I had a lot of fun reading Spurgeon's reflections on the Psalms, if you can call reading a lament fun. Um, Spurgeon has this to say about the smoke, about uh, my days pass away like smoke. My life feels so vanishing, so vaporous. It's what's left over after a fire. What's left there where once there was a blaze, now it's gone. Was there ever any fire at all? Verse 2, I'm like a desert owl of the wilderness, like an owl of the waste places. So owls are solitary creatures of the night. When the day has passed, they come out. And this is a dark and chilling scene where emptiness is broken by the cry of an owl, though there is none to hear. Verse 7, I lie awake. There's a grief sentence for you. I lie awake. I mean, when I lie awake in chilling pain, it's not because I'm counting my blessings. It's usually because I'm rehearsing terrible things that have happened. And in fear, I'm catastrophizing the excruciating things that are likely to happen. It's night, it's dark, I'm by myself and everything seems worse. And I know you, and I know that many of you have many things to rehearse when you lie awake at night. Betrayals, disappointments, illnesses, losses, and even watching other people in their own suffering. Verse 7b, I'm like a lonely sparrow on the housetop. So as a rule, sparrows are not alone. They're in flocks. Like the house sparrows that we have here in DuPage County are so numerous, they nest absolutely everywhere. They clean out my bird feeder in like an hour, and they chase away the birds I would really like to see. And they make a constant racket. There are always loads of them. So just one sparrow alone indicates a problem. Either this sparrow is lost, or the flock has died, and there's not a lot of hope for the survival of a single sparrow. Perhaps this little bird would say, I used to be one of a lively group, and now I'm totally alone and vulnerable. So those are the two bird references for your bird lovers. So take note of the owl and the sparrow. <laughs> I do wish I would have known when I walked through depression in college that I could pray like this. I wish I would have known that. Verse 11, my days are like an evening shadow. So I uh, took some walks on the prairie path in the last couple of weeks in the evening to test out this metaphor. So I went out there and I observed my shadow. I stood there and I looked at my shadow as the sun was going down. It was actually pretty interesting because when the sun was bright, 
The shadow was crisp, and you could see the outlines of my form on the ground. But as the sun set and dusk moved in, the ground itself became dark. And so my shadow was obscured in general darkness. My form just slowly, slowly, slowly faded into darkness. Eleven, I wither away like grass. This summer, I planted a moonflower, not in the ground, but in a pot that was too small for it. And so I could not keep it with enough water. Every single day I would come home, it was withered and wilted, every single leaf just hanging there, sapped. But I would come home and give it water, and within a couple of hours, it would take up the water and fill the leaves with vibrant color and form. Wilted, such a good description of how depression and despair feel. All the life force in me is just drained out. My arms feel limp, and I have the sensation of dragging myself along. Notice this writer is not holding back. When talking to God about devastation, you can just lay it out. We don't have to keep our heartaches zipped up tightly and tucked away. We can open them and lay them out. Verse 8. All the day my enemies taunt me. Those who deride me use my name for a curse. Just when we've used the last drop of our strength to cry out to God, when we're filleted open and our vulnerabilities exposed, now we have enemies. This is hard for us to understand because most of you are very nice people. And if you were walking along the prairie path and you saw a cyclist topple over, you would not walk over to her and kick her and say, who do you think you are? You're no biker. <laughs> you would not do that because you're a nice person. But enemies do that. They take advantage of weaknesses and isolation. When you experience desolation and sapping sorrow, the enemy doesn't wait for you to get up, dust yourself off, get a drink of water, and feel better. He kicks you when you're down. I don't want you to be taken unaware by this, because I think it's true. In my experience, the taunts of the enemy amplify the fears I already possess. You feel alone? You are alone. You want God to hear you? He doesn't care. As this lament shifts from the affliction to the heavenly gaze, we see that the final blow to the enemy is the jubilant song of the generations and the triumph of Jesus as he sits on the throne. So see the heavenly gaze. Verse 12. But you, O Lord, are enthroned forever. You are remembered throughout all generations. Here the psalm shifts from self-immersion to heavenly contemplation. He turns from his personal troubles to the source of his consolations. 
His prayer is no longer about him, but about the faithfulness of God. The heavenly gaze lifts our eyes from ourselves to God. Verse 18, let this be recorded for a generation to come. Write this down. I wrote my lament, now I will write my consolation. So that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord. The heavenly gaze of this psalm looks into the throne room of heaven, where all the generations are gathered in joy and freedom. So you may be thinking to yourself, well, if it all ends up so beautifully, can't we just focus on that and skip the agony? I don't know. Can you skip the agony? Life is a cycle of laments. You know why most of us don't chomp down on a good lament and work it through? Because it's excruciating. When we face situations that bring us feelings like this, it can feel easier to just compress them into a little tiny box and tuck them away. It feels better to close our lives, our hearts, our minds to God, to others, to the church. Because it is gut-wrenching to sit in ashes and hold the dust of crushed stones, to call to mind, to hold love for the person or hope that is gone. But God has given us these words to pray, lest we think we shouldn't feel this way or pray this way. Here it is, a gift. Pray like this. John of the Cross, writing of the dark night of the soul, says this. Spiritual persons suffer considerable affliction in this night, owing not so much to the aridities they undergo as to their fear of having gone astray. You haven't gone astray when you lament. Offering a, a lament to God that urges him to listen, that describes your anguish and looks up to heaven, is returning to him the gift he gave to you. Nearly 20 years ago, I watched a several years long process of my husband diminish and waste away with cancer. And I watched John lament well, which was chilling and helped me. I'm honestly not sure I would, how I would have made it with faith intact had he not led the way with lament as he did. His lament gave me permission to grieve, gave me fortitude, faith, and perseverance. John had a rare type of blood cancer that formed tumors in his brain and bones. As the rate of cancer growth increased, tumors became visible. So I could look at his back and see his, his ribs, and on a few of them there was an egg-shaped and sized tumor emerging. If I put my hand on it, it radiated burning heat. As the tumors grew, they cracked the ribs. John was in a lot of pain in his body and a lot of sorrow 
that his life was being cut short mid-course, trying to sort all of that out. So we would get the kids to bed, sit on the couch to talk and pray, and he often wanted to read Hebrews 12. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. Through this illness, John wrestled to receive it as discipline, that God was treating him as a son, drawing him near. And he fought for the reality that even in his pain, God was not rejecting him. God was not judging him or pushing him away. And so God, John did not reject God or push him away, even though he was deeply suffering through pain, through the loss of vocabulary, mobility, strength. If God was leading him, then he intended to look up to him as father, to trust him, to obey him, to look toward the love and healing that he was bringing. He would not give way to bitterness, to self-pity, or to despair. His simple prayers were something like a lament. Lord, hear me. I'm hurting so much right here. Keep me near you until the day I see you face to face. In these final two minutes or so, I'd like to conclude by giving us a few moments to hold together laments that we carry. We know Jesus prayed these laments. Praise them with us now. We will see him face to face. And until him, until we see him, we will offer him laments, even as he prayed them. So what I'm going to do is to give you two phrases from the psalm, one at a time, with some space between. Here they are so that you can consider them and think about your response for a moment. For my days pass away like, fill in the blank, my heart is struck down like. So these are the B portion of the ABC pattern. So I'll begin the prayer with the A, the entreaty, and I'll close us with C, the heavenly gaze. And I'll give you those two sentence stems to fill in the affliction. Let us pray. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Let my cry come to you. For my days pass away like Let my cry come to you. My heart is struck down like But you, O Lord, are enthroned forever. You are remembered throughout all generations. Amen and amen.